Good morning. I'm John Harlow. I'm Grant Greathouse. I'm Grace Greathouse. And I'm Gabrielle Greathouse. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. As for you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you are the least significant of Judah's forces, one who is to be a ruler in Israel on my behalf will come out from you. His origin is from remote times, from ancient days. Our second scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. This is this morning's scripture reading. conceive in your womb and give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. How can this be since I've been with no man? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power from the Most High will overshadow you and the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God. Son of God. Mary, even your cousin Elizabeth, has conceived a son in her old age, for nothing said by God can be impossible. Let it be done to me according to your word. Wasn't that something? A beautiful interpretation of Luke's scripture. And it comes from a feature film, The Nativity Story. But did you notice there was something missing? Here's the scripture again from the Common English Bible. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to his son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever. And there will be no end to his kingdom. The screenwriter included the text saying Jesus is the Son of God, but left out any references to Jesus' connection to David and the kingdom of which there will be no end. But that's really what we want to think about on this first Sunday of Advent. How we encounter Jesus as Christ, Messiah, and King. <clears throat> I'm Pastor Paul Ernst, one of the pastoral care pastors here on the staff of Noblesville First. Originally, I planned to be with you on the live feed from the sanctuary, but I'm contributing my part from uh, home uh, because I tested positive for COVID-19, and Charlene and I are both recovering from it. But we are snug in our home with access to the resources that we need through family members. We are truly blessed. 
but King Herod obviously was not feeling very blessed. When the wise men, the Magi, came from the east looking for the king of the Jews, and when Herod heard about that, he was frightened because he felt his kingship threatened. So he called together all of the chief priests and the scribes and asked them where this Messiah was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Well, that's a chilling answer to his question and from a prophecy that he knew and no doubt he had heard many times. But where did this prophecy come from? How does Matthew know it? What might we learn from it? And why does it mix the idea of king with shepherd? Matthew knew exactly where this prophecy came from. It came from the prophet Micah. Micah was active during a really tough period in Israel's history. In Micah's time, Israel and Judah experienced a lot of turmoil. And the, the Assyria invaded them. And at the same time, the culture was undergoing great changes. Judah's economy expanded and shifted from a barter society to a mercantile society. So suddenly they were using money. According to Micah, corruption and hypocrisy were to be found everywhere. He wrote that Jerusalem's rulers give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets give oracles for money, yet they lean upon the Lord and say, Surely the Lord is with us. No harm shall come upon us. In this dangerous and ethically questionable world, God inspired Micah to prophesy that God's ancient covenant with Israel was secure and reliable. But the way that covenant might be fulfilled could happen in an unexpected way. And this is our other scripture for today, and it bears repeating Micah's prophecy from approximately eight centuries before the incarnation of Christ. As for you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, Though you are the least significant of Judah's forces, one who is to be a ruler of Israel on my behalf will come out from you. His origin is from remote times, from ancient days. When you hear this text, don't you immediately think about Jesus? I know I do. I think about Jesus, the Messiah, the gift from God that we're now preparing to receive. All those centuries ago, that wasn't the case. But Micah is sharing God's promise that the covenant will be fulfilled with a new leader in the line of David. This leader will not be from the royal city of Jerusalem, but from the tiny little nothing village of Bethlehem. He will not be a warrior ruler, conquering like the conquering Assyrians, but rather he will be a ruler of peace who provides for his people as a shepherd provides for his flock. The allusions to David are pretty obvious. And this reminds us that God seems to love upsetting human expectations. David, who was the smallest of his brothers, he was the one anointed king. 
the ruler promised in Micah's prophecy comes from an unexpected place, tiny Bethlehem. Luke tells us of God's promise to Mary that she will bear a child, the Son of God. And we know this child will be the ruler of which Herod is so very terrified, a ruler who enters the world in an unexpected way, not as a triumphant conquering general, but as a helpless child, child of a poor young woman from Nazareth in Galilee. Micah 5.2 is well known and important. It's a wonderful text to help us understand who Jesus is. You can hear it echo not only in Matthew's gospel, which where it's used to inform King Herod that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, but also in the gospel of John, when a group of people refer to it as they try to understand Jesus' identity. When they heard these words, some in the crowd said, this is really the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some asked, Surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? Has not the scripture said the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? And again, in John's gospel, earlier in the gospel, when Jesus is just beginning his ministry and calling his disciples, he finds Philip, and Philip in turn finds Nathanael, and when Jesus sees Nathanael, he says, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Where did you get to know me? I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Evidently, Nathanael was expecting some small-town preacher. After all, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But who he met was King, Messiah, and Christ. Descended from David, born in Bethlehem, the Son of God. In its 8th century context, Micah's prophecy gave a particular word to a particular war-torn and ethically challenged community. But it takes on new life in the context of Advent because it reminds us of God's ongoing activity in the world, how God remains faithful to God's covenant promises, often by disrupting human expectations. It's ironic, really, that Advent, the season of preparation for him that we are expecting, brings hope for the unexpected. We live in a time that's actually a bit like Micah's day. How often lately have you found yourself saying something like, is it still 2020? When's this year going to be over with? It can't be over with soon enough. Our lives, our institutions, and our communities are in constant disruption and confusion, not because of conquering warriors, but because of a tiny little virus invisible to the human eye. We may be discouraged, Let's take a moment, take a breath, because we can have faith that God is still faithful to God's covenant. Micah calls us to see God's faithfulness in new and, and very surprising ways. Matthew reminds us that the covenant is still active in his day and that Micah's prophecy will be fulfilled through Jesus, a member of the line of David, 
This Jesus will soon be born in the city of David. This impending birth is ripe with expectations. Herod is right to be concerned. But he, like many who know this prophecy, are expecting royalty and fanfare and wealth and power. The new king, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, will not arrive in a golden chariot, but as a helpless, ch helpless child to be raised by a poor young girl and her carpenter husband. Something like that is not expected at all. Micah invites us to look for God's presence where we least expect to find it and to be aware of the voices of the small, the powerless, and the vulnerable. We are about to meet a king who serves as an example of how to serve, a Messiah who gives us a glimpse of the character of God. We are about to encounter the Christ, the Anointed One, what are your expectations for the Messiah? Are you prepared to be surprised this Advent season? Are we all truly prepared to welcome the Holy One, our King, Jesus the Christ, into our midst? And most important, will we know him when we meet him? Amen. Good morning again. I'm Pastor Mary Eileen. I'm also one of the pastors of Parish Care here. And good morning to you who are joining us at home this day. We are glad that you are with us. Let's pray. Oh God, you are my rock and my redeemer. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be the words you would have spoken. May they fall upon ears and hearts that are willing to hear so feet and hands will act and mouths will speak to proclaim the good news of your kingdom. Amen. Pastor Paul shared with you the prophet Micah's words that are echoed in the Luke passage that a ruler was coming and soon. From the angel Gabriel, for the angel Gabriel appears to Mary who is to birth a baby boy who is to be called Jesus and rule over the house of Jacob and God's kingdom forever. Those living in the time the Gospel of Luke was written would have understood that this proclamation by Gabriel pointed to the long-awaited king who was to come to deliver the Israelites from the grips of the Roman Empire. With the birth of Jesus, the prophecy of Micah shared hundreds of years before would be fulfilled. Luke wrote his gospel to Theopolis, believed to be a fellow believer of God, almost 100 years after the birth of Jesus, to let him know that all he had been taught had been fulfilled. Just like Theophilus, we too live after the birth of Christ, 2,020 years after this year of the struggle with the COVID virus, racism, the elections, and all the issues that have resulted from those, plus whatever personal issues that we have all struggled through during this time. 
Don't we too need to be reassured and have confidence more than ever that the Christmas story is true? That Jesus, who named means Savior, came to rescue us from the deep disappointments and darkness of our times to give us hope, indeed, that there is a better future. Luke, in writing to Theophilus, reinforces what it means to have confidence in God's promises and God's rule in a time of oppression and dissension. We, in reading and remembering the story, are reminded that God came into the world to bring us hope in our despondency that a better world is possible. Micah's prophecy came true, and Luke, in his gospel, unfolds the story of Jesus that is collaborated in all of the rest of the gospels. Today's verses from Luke are found within the Annunciation story, which reveals to us that Mary will conceive a child to be named Jesus. This son of the Most High will be great and will sit on the throne of David to rule over Jacob's house, which will have no end. This will be the culmination of the Davidic covenant, a fulfilling of God's promise to King David. Now, if you are a student of history, you could legitimately say that has not fully happened. There is no king that rules over Israel today. So what does this mean for us? What are we to learn from this story? As believers in God, we believe Jesus is the Messiah or the Anointed One, the ruler or king who is to lead us to a better world, filled with justice, faithful love, and walking humbly with God, as Micah puts it in chapter 6 of his writings. We believe God came into the world in human form to show us who our creating God is and God's plan for us as God's people. Jesus, as the living word, taught us all that God wanted us to know. And all that God wanted us to know is reflected in the word, the Bible, the written word. The first two verses of the Gospel of John say, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. And then further in verse 14 of that same chapter in John, it says, The Word became flesh and made His home among us. Mary's baby boy Jesus was God in the flesh, born to lead the Israelite nation out of oppression into glory. The disciples and those who followed Jesus gave their allegiance to this ruler or king, convinced, convinced that he would overthrow the Roman rulers and they would be the people of power again. This was their hope with his preaching about a kingdom that was based on the love of God, the love of neighbor, and 
how we were to treat one another as like we wanted to be treated. Jesus' movement gained momentum. Herod did, as Paul said, should be afraid and concerned. But we know, because we know the end of the story, that Jesus never led an insurrection that led to the Israel nation overcoming the Romans. For Jesus' kingdom was about a better way of living together. The Jewish people placed their hope in Jesus, but were sorely disappointed when he was crowned a king in imprisonment and died upon the cross. Their hope died yet again. What were they to do? In their despondency, hope came alive again when Jesus rose from the dead and reminded the disciples of their purpose and empowered them with the Holy Spirit, God's continued presence in their life. With this empowerment, the disciples were able to bring the hope of Jesus to others. The Gospel of Luke ends with these words, As Jesus blessed them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. As they worshipped him, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem, overwhelmed with joy. At the end of the Annunciation story, Mary says, as you saw and heard in the video, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. Mary's belief that God could do the impossible, as the angel Gabriel said, led her to be God's willing servant. Now, I like to think Mary was willing because she knew Micah's prophetic words and believed God was going to fulfill that promise. Mary was an ordinary girl looking to live an ordinary life when God called upon her to give and gave her this honor. Mary's faith led her to follow God's will in obedience and gave her the strength to be the bearer of Jesus so those in her time would come to know the incarnate God even though she had no idea what that would mean and the pain she would know as Jesus' mother. Mary did not know the end of the story, but trusted God to whom she gave her allegiance and service. Mary was willing to offer herself to God's work in order to bring redeeming hope into the world in and through Christ. When I am prone to sit in a well of self-pity because I cannot live life as usual in this very abnormal year, I am reminded again that Scripture calls us to imitate Christ, the hope of the world. Ephesians 5, 1 
2 says, Imitate God like dearly loved children. Live your life with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us and gave us himself for us. Imitating God is no easy task in normal times, let alone in abnormal times, especially if we carry heavy burdens and disappointments with us into this holiday season, as I know many of us do, due to the events of this year. But as followers of Jesus, we give, like Mary, our allegiance to our ruler, the Lord, and trust that the impossible is possible because we are empowered by God. For God says through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. When we feel we can no longer exemplify the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, when we no longer we feel that we can exhibit these because our own spirits are demoralized, I pray for all of us, all of us, to remember Mary's commitment to give birth to Jesus, looking beyond her own circumstances of being an unwed mother to bring hope to the people of Israel who were demoralized and occupied by the Romans. Mary leaned on God's strength to carry her through her struggle, to bring hope in the person of Jesus into the world. Theophilus, you, and you, and you, and I, we too can be assured by Luke's words that Jesus came in to the world to bring us hope in a better future because God can do the impossible through us just as he did when he used Mary. Here's the lesson that I take from the Annunciation story, and I hope that you can take that same lesson with you today. Here's the lesson. It's that ordinary people who follow or give allegiance to this ruler, this baby born on Christmas Day, ordinary people like you and I, we can bring the redeeming hope of Jesus to our world that is filled with uncertainty, fear, and contention, and our own disappointments in this year as we continue to struggle and move forward into yet a new year. God is redeeming us. God's hope, God's redeeming hope also shines through us as we imitate God in the ways that we can, despite, despite 
We don't have to like them, but despite our circumstances, as we begin, as we began our worship service this morning, we lit the first candle of the Advent wreath as a sign of our hope that God can meet us in the mess of this world and see us through the rubble of these times and see us through whatever is happening in our own individual lives. We asked God again to let the light of this candle bring us Emmanuel once more. My friends, my fellow believers, be assured by Luke and the biblical record that our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ who entered into this world on that first Christmas so long ago. Be reassured, Jesus, the anointed one, as ruler of our lives, sustains us in our times of depression, our times of desperation, our times of despondency, so that we too may be purveyors or promoters, whichever word you prefer to use, that we may be the ones that bring the redeeming hope found in the person Jesus, just as Mary who answered God's call in her nation's time of depression. Let us bring that same hope to our nation, to our community, to our fellow church members in this so very anxious year. As we await Christmas and Christ's coming again, my prayer as we go forth into the world is the same as the Apostle Paul's in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you May the God of hope fill you at home. May the God of hope fill you. With all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the baby Jesus' hope to all those who are in need in this very trying year. Amen.